You're listening to the Mount Pleasant Podcast. To learn more about our church, visit us online at www.mpbc.church. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. I want to begin by asking you a question this morning. How many of you have ever played this game? You ever played the game Clue? Yeah, that is the great mystery board game of who done it. Everybody loves a mystery, it seems. I, I grew up with uh, mysteries and, 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 and the case of the books that I read. My grandmother was a librarian and she gave me these books, The Hardy Boys Mysteries. Now, I had a sister, still do, and my sister read these books. What would she have read? The Nancy Drew murder or the mysteries. Now, the mysteries that we have uh, seem to always be, particularly in the, the world of Hollywood, they're always some of the best watched and most watched movies and TV shows. I was thinking about some of the old TV shows that were mysteries like Columbo. Remember Columbo? Do, you, do some of you remember uh, Angela Lansbury's Murder, She Wrote? And then some of the shows today, the more modern shows like X-Files or Bones, CSI, The Blacklist, The Mentalist, some of those type things. People love mysteries. Even today, my kids enjoy playing that old board game of Clue. We sometimes pull that out. And if you know anything about the board game Clue, you got to figure out who committed the dastardly deed and in what room and with what weapon, right? I don't know about you, but filling out one of these things, you know, when you play that game, you got to fill out one of those little cards. I get so lost doing that. Does anyone else kind of get there? And you're filling that thing out, but at the end, if you think you know who did it, you open up this little packet, this little envelope, and you pull out the card, and you might discover, well, it was Colonel Mustard who did it in the billiard room with a lead pipe. Or it could have been Mrs. Peacock in the conservatory with the candlestick. I'll be honest with you, when I do win, which is very seldom, I'm usually the most surprised person in the room because I have no idea how I figured it out. It's just an absolute guess. Mysteries. People love mysteries. Today we're going to talk about a mystery that involves you, it involves me, it involves everyone in this room. We're going to see today that we're all part of a mystery that the Apostle Paul had revealed to him by way of the Holy Spirit as he wrote to the church at Colossae. The title of this morning's message is Mystery Revealed. You've made your way to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to read from verse 24 through the end of the chapter. Follow along with me. Now I rejoice in my sufferings, Paul's writing this, for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, now watch this, to make the word of God fully known. That's God's desire, even of us, to make his word fully known. Now here comes the mystery. The mystery, verse 26, hidden for eight ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. Now remember church, the word saints is another word for Christians. Verse 27, to them, to Christians, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you. That is the mystery, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, verse 28, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Hey church, God actually wants us to be mature. 
He does. Verse 29, Paul says, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. Paul said in verse 26, the mystery hidden for ages and generations. Now church, this mystery wasn't something eerie, it wasn't something frightening, it wasn't something that was ethereal or based on some sort of secret knowledge. This was a mystery that God revealed according to His divine plan at exactly the right time, and we're going to see that as we go through the message today. Now church, remember this, the entire reason the book of Colossians is being written is because the Apostle Paul has been in informed that the people in Colossae are beginning to follow false teaching. It's called heresy. They, these people that were teaching this are known as the Gnostics. They taught that Jesus was not the Son of God. They taught that Jesus was not even human, but was instead some sort of emanating spirit coming out of heaven. The Gnostics taught that you had to have some sort of super intellectual ability to understand all of this secret, mysterious knowledge of God. Paul is combating this false teaching. He said these are lies, and they're being used to deceive the people. The mystery Paul is describing is not a mystery that only the intellectual elite can learn. He used that word mystery just to kind of jab a little bit at those Gnostics when they would hear this letter being read. This is a mystery that is sacred to God, but that he wants all, every human to know. We're going to see that. But church, here's, here's the problem. Here's the issue. Where is the Apostle Paul? He's in jail. That's right, sister. Paul's in jail. Do you listen to anything anybody in jail's got to say? Huh? He's in jail. And this letter's coming back. Most of these people in Colossae have never met Paul. They have no idea who he is. To them, he's a jailbird. And so Paul knew this was going to be an issue. And so he, he's going to give some credence as to why he's describing some of the things that he is about this mystery and about his own ministry. But, but before we go there, we need to park here for a moment. Why is Paul in prison in the first place? What happened? What did he do? It can be really described in two words. Paul's in prison. He's under house arrest. I'll describe that in a moment because of false accusations. False accusations. It's the same thing that got Jesus killed. False accusations. If you go back to the book of Acts, to chapter 22, don't go there, just listen to me for a moment. Acts chapter 22, Paul has been brought before the Sanhedrin, which is the highest ruling council of the Jews. There's kind of like our Supreme Court, okay? And he's been brought to them because many of the Pharisees are saying that that the Apostle Paul is a turncoat, that he's a traitor, that he is, he is now following this sect, S-E-C-T, this sect called the Way, followers of Christ, and that he is abandoning Judaism. And so they've brought him in, Paul himself having been a Pharisee of Pharisees, and they're like, what's your deal, Paul? You are one of us. And now you've walked away. So he, in Acts 22, he's, he's standing there before a tribunal, before the Sanhedrin. And everything's going just fine. Until he says one word 
Gentiles. Now, who are Gentiles? Non-Jews. So in the world of the New Testament, you have two groups of people. You're either a Jew or you're a Gentile. We got any Jews in the room? Full-blooded Jews. Anyone? Any, anyone? I've asked this both services, now the third service. I don't see any hand. So what does that mean? Everyone in this room are Gentiles. We're not Jews. Jews, they come from Abraham's line. It was because of Abraham that God would choose him and through his lineage that Jesus would come. Abraham was chosen so that Jesus would have a family line that he could be born into. Jesus would leave heaven, come to this earth and be one of us. That's Christmas. It's coming. Are you shopping yet? You better get going. Here's the thing. Paul's doing great, standing before the Sanhedrin, until he says, Gentiles get to get in on this deal and be part of the family of God. And I want to show you just one verse, Acts 22:22. Take a look at the screens, Acts 22:22. Watch this. Up to this word, Gentiles, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And they were ready to kill him right there on the spot until he revealed something to them. Oh, they knew that he was a Jew, but what they didn't know, what did they not know? Some of you Bible scholars tell me. He's a Roman citizen. He goes, Stop! I'm a Roman citizen. And they're like, oh my goodness. The Jews knew that Rome is in charge and they could not mess with Rome's order and law. And so what did they do? They bound him and they shipped him off to Rome. They put him on a boat and they shipped him to Rome. And Paul made it to Rome and while they were waiting to gather the witnesses and so forth, they put him under house arrest. So they allowed the Apostle Paul to live in a house for about 18 months, a house that he had to pay for out of his own funds. But he was a tent maker, a leather worker, and he was able to pay for that. But he was not allowed to live there alone. He was chained to a Roman soldier with a six-foot chain. Everything he did in that house was with a soldier attached to him. Imagine that, sleeping beside of a soldier eating beside of a soldier, going to the bathroom with a soldier, trying to shower with a soldier. And this was a pain. And this was hard. And this was difficult. But it was during that period of time we get today what are known as the prison epistles, the letters that were written while Paul was under arrest in Rome awaiting trial. The book of Colossians is one of those. And so now you understand why the Apostle Paul was in Rome in the first place. You know, Paul could have spared himself a whole lot of trouble if he'd have just left the Gentiles out. Right? Don't worry about them. Just go ahead and kowtow down to the Sanhedrin. Maybe just not admit to the Sanhedrin that he was still going to try to, to win the Gentiles to Christ, but, but Paul didn't want to lie, and so he told the truth. You know, it's easy to not rock the boat, isn't it? We've got the truth about all kinds of issues of the world right here in Scripture. Holy Writ, the Word of God, our authority, 
but we're afraid to stand for truth. Just go along to get along. Just keep your mouth shut. Don't say the truth. Or if you do, just compromise it a little bit. Go along to get along. Not Paul. Paul told the truth. And you know what? He suffered for it. You ready for that? When you stand for what's right, you're going to suffer. So get ready to hurt people. We live in a day and age in a culture when you stand for that which is right, you're going to suffer. So just understand you're probably going to lose some friends. But if they, listen, they probably weren't your friend in the first place. The Apostle Paul is describing his suffering. And that's verse 24. Now you have the context. Look at it again. You'll understand the context. Now I rejoice, Colossians 1.24, in my sufferings. He's chained to a soldier for Pete's sake. He said, in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's sufferings or his afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. Does that seem odd to anyone else? Paul said, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. What does that mean? Was there something lacking in what Jesus did on the cross? No, not at all. In fact, it's the rest of the sentence that the Holy Spirit makes clear when the Bible says, for the sake of his body, that is the church. It's not something that was lacking in Jesus. It's something that's lacking in us. Suffering. You like to suffer? Me either. But isn't it during our suffering when we find the presence of the Lord is the sweetest? I mean, I don't know about you, but in my flesh, I like it when it's all going good. Don't you? All the bills are paid. The health is good. Everybody in the family's good. And I didn't burn the toast. Right? But it's when things aren't going good and there's not enough money and there's struggles in the family and there's issues and you burn the toast that you hit your knees before the Lord and, 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 and you're, you're struggling. You're struggling with your health. You're struggling with circumstances. And you go to the Lord and you know that you can depend on no one but Him. And then you begin to feel His presence and His Spirit bearing witness with your spirit, telling you that it's going to be okay even though it's chaos. Even though there's things happening in your life that you don't even understand. The, the doctor doesn't have an answer. There's not a situation for that, that, that problem with your child. And yet God knows. And He speaks into your spirit and He says, I know. You're going to be okay. I'll show you the way. The Apostle Paul knew all about suffering. And so he was not speaking about suffering that was coming to the Lord Jesus. He was speaking about suffering that would come to us. Uh, let, me, let me couch it in this, this term. Okay, you'll, you'll understand this totally about what he's saying here. If you want to really hurt me, how do you do that? Come at me? Come at my family. See, see, you can just about say anything you want to to me or about me, and, I, and I'll let it go, okay? <laughs> you start talking about my wife, you start talking about my kids, you, you start making it hard for my grandkids, now you have raised a line. I'm just telling you, and you feel the same way. It's one thing, somebody mess with you, it's another thing to mess with your family. Do you understand the analogy? See, Jesus is where right now? 
in heaven. But his family is here. And Satan is still working to get at Jesus, but he does it by way of trying to hurt us. And so when we face persecution, we're actually taking it on his behalf. No, there was nothing lacking in what Jesus did on the cross. The, the, the cross and the work on it was complete. But remember, the heretics said that Jesus didn't have a physical body. And Paul was refuting that he had a physical body. He said, not only does he have a physical body, he's now got an entire body called the church body, the bride of Christ. So we're the body. And we suffer on his behalf. That's what Paul was telling the church, the churches in Galatia. See the screens? Galatians 6, 17. Paul, Paul described it this way. He said, For now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Paul saw his suffering as, as taking it on behalf of Jesus. Today, when we suffer for Jesus, we bear his reproach. We suffer persecution in his place. That's 2 Corinthians 1, 5. Now watch, watch this, 2 Corinthians 1, 5. See the screens? For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, then what happens? That's when we share in comfort. So through Christ, we share abundantly in comfort too. Are you suffering today? Are you suffering for the Lord? Somebody coming after you? Somebody trying to hurt you or harm you? The Lord Jesus knows all about it. I want you to turn to Acts chapter 9. I want to show you, we're speaking of the Apostle Paul and his life and the things that, that he went through, the things that he was going to have to endure, the things that he was going to have to go through. And I want you to see this. You're turning to Acts chapter 9. What you're going to see in Acts 9 is the conversion of the Apostle Paul. Now who was Paul before he was Paul? Saul. And what was he doing? Killing Christians. Killing Christians. And, and Saul is going to the Sanhedrin, the same Sanhedrin that he would eventually stand before in Acts 22 or back in Acts 9 right now. He was actually working for them. In Acts 9, he was working for the Sanhedrin. In Acts 22, they're trying to kill him. Oh, how things change. Acts chapter 9. Watch what Paul's wanting to do. Verse 1. But, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest... And he asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, now what way? The way, what is that? That's, that's what the Christians were called before they were called Christians. They were called followers of the way. Why way? Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so Paul said, if I find any of these turncoats, who were in the synagogue, who were Jews, and they're now following this guy, Jesus, I'm going to kill them. It's funny, that's Acts 22, 22. That's exactly what would happen to him. They wanted to kill Paul, the Sanhedrin did, because he was following the way. Watch it. He said, Paul said, I don't care if they're men. He said, I don't care if they're women. Middle part of verse 2. So that he might bring them bound. He wanted to chain them up and bring them back to Jerusalem. To do what? kill him. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus. That's about 100 miles north of Jerusalem. And suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, now in my Bible I've got red letters. These next words are in red letters. So what does that mean? The words of Jesus. Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? 
And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. That makes no sense. Jesus was in heaven at that moment. Why did Jesus say that? He goes back to the family. Jesus said, you're persecuting me. How? He was hurting the church. He was hurting the body of Christ. In other words, he was hurting the family. Like, if you mess with me, that's one thing. Don't mess with Pam, Clara, Andrew, my grandchildren. Uh-uh. Jesus said, Saul, you're persecuting me. Jesus is in heaven at this moment, but Satan seeks to continue to hurt him by coming after us. Satan wants to destroy us. And if he can get to us, he knows that's how he can get to Jesus. But here's the thing that Satan doesn't understand. When Satan, seen, seen, when Satan seeks to bring suffering into our lives, he's actually working at the hand of God because God uses suffering to bring us closer to him. I've told you this a hundred times. Satan is a dog on a leash. Here, boy. And God is on the end of the leash. That's as far as you can go. Satan wanted to have Job. Right there. That's as far as you can go. You can't kill him. That's as far as you can go. Satan is a pawn in this master game of chess. He's nothing but a pawn. He's not a bishop. He's not a castle. He's not the queen. He ain't the king. He's nothing but a stinking little pawn. And God uses Satan, and Satan is so stupid, he's so stupid that he plays right into the hand of the great chess master God. And so the things that Satan seeks to bring into our lives to cause harm and suffering, God so often uses that to actually bring glory to God himself so that in our suffering we might actually glorify God in it. It's so beautiful when you can see it that way. By the way, the Apostle Paul, you're still in Acts 9. Have you turned back yet? You're still there? Look at verse 16. You were in Acts 9. You were up to verse 6. Go down to verse 16. Because the Lord God said, for I'm going to show Paul how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And so that brings us back to Colossians 1 now. This, Paul is suffering. He's got a soldier attached to him on a six-foot chain everywhere he goes. Hey, look at me, church. Do you ever feel like that it's just not fair what you're dealing with? I mean, how much greater could it be than, than, than somebody like the Apostle Paul? I mean, he's one of the greatest Christians that's ever lived. And he's, he's got this season of time for 18 months. He's chained to a soldier every time he's got to go to the bathroom. Do you ever think he looked at God and said, what's up with this? Where's Joel Osteen in my best life now? You know what I'm saying? Where's, the pro where's Creflo Dollar and his $45 million jet? But if I just send my money and if I just live for Jesus, it's going to all be good. Do you realize we have the book of Colossians today because the Apostle Paul was chained to a soldier? Oh. Satan thought it was so good to pull the Apostle Paul off the mission field. It gave Paul the en enough time to write these letters, the prison epistles. Satan's so stupid. God uses it for good. 
Colossians 1.25, Paul says, look, he said, I am a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to do what? To make the Word of God fully known. Christian, who are you? You say, well, I'm a child of God. We were singing about that. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. What? I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. You know what else I am? A slave. Did you see the word steward there? That word stewardship, the root is steward, and the root of that in the Greek, slave. I'm a child of God, yes I am, but I'm also his slave. What does a slave do? Exactly, works for the master. Whatever the master says. I'm good with that. Are you okay with that? You know why I'm okay with that? Because I'm living for the Father. Because he's got a place for me. He, you know, in my Father's house, Jesus said, are many rooms, right? Y'all been watching TV. Have you seen the Biltmore ads yet? The Christmas Biltmore ads? Aren't they, aren't they all? They start playing that piano music. I'm like, let's go. Let's go, Pam. Let's go to the Biltmore house. I talk about this a lot, but when I see that, I just, I think this is so good. Because I think about heaven in my Father's house. There's a place for me. If you think George Vanderbilt knew what he was doing, you can't fathom what Jesus knows about what he's doing. The master carpenter in heaven. Jesus said, I go away and prepare a place for you. And if I go away and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself so that where I am there you may be also. Because in my Father's house are many rooms. I think about the Biltmore house. Think about how nice that place is. One day that new Jerusalem. See, the Father's house is in the new Jerusalem. It's going to come down out of heaven. Can you fathom that place? That place is 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles. Wide long and tall. It's a city of gold, like transparent glass. And inside that place is, a, is the Father's house. And I got a room there. It's, it's an awesome thing. So I'm fine with being a slave because my Father provides for me. To this day, at this moment, I'm a child of God. I am His slave. I am gratefully His slave, and He is my master. So I do what He asks me to do. Are, are you okay with that? How are you living your life right now? Are, are, you, are you living it for yourself? Are you living it for Him? I mean, what motivates you right now? Hmm? What, what, what's driving your life? You know, it's like that old song, I think, for so many people. Everybody's working for the weekend. No, 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 no. Is that what we're living for? Is it just the weekend? Is it the next movie? Is it the next fun thing? Is it, is it, is it retirement? What is it, what is it that's just going to make your life the best? Is it a boyfriend? Is it, is it a girlfriend? Is it a new job? Is it a car? Is it getting the house fixed up? Is it a vacation? What is it? Is it retirement? What is it? What is it that motivates you? You know it's all passing away, don't you? You know this life is just nothing. And we put so much stock in here right now. So many Christians in America, we, we, listen, we're, we think that heaven is like now. 
And, and we're, we're, we're living for some time in the future when we get married or we get the job that we've always dreamed of or we get that house or we get the house paid off or we go on this vacation or we go and have, we have retirement. What about the Christians in Africa who are living in Alabacolito who have nothing but 180 square feet inside of a hut with a dirt floor and that's all they'll have for the rest of their lives? What are they living for? Huh? Heaven. That's right, brother. We don't live for heaven. We live for here. And we sacrifice so much of our lives for the junk of this place on this earth. And we wonder why we have no joy. Because we're letting our lives be set up by the stuff of this world. And if everything doesn't go just according to plan, and we have to suffer a little bit, all of a sudden God's got it out for us. You're watching too much Joel Osteen. Let me tell you something. The Lord Jesus Christ has prepared us for His glory. He is my master. And it's a joy to serve Him. Because even in the midst of the struggle and the pain and the burnt toast of this world, there is power. And the world knows nothing of that. That we can actually be okay in our pain. We can be okay when it's not all great. Because in my Father's house are many rooms. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. So it doesn't matter what the doctor says. It doesn't matter what this life holds. I'm living for the kingdom. That's what the Apostle Paul knew. Paul viewed his ministry as stewardship. And so that's why it's okay. See, I want to show you this. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I know some of you are hurting today. I know that. I can look at your faces. Some of you are watching on Mount Pleasant anywhere. You just stumbled across this deal. And God knows your pain right now. He knows you're hurting. He knows what's happening. He knows it's not all, you know, cookies and cream for you. He gets that. But I, but I want you to see, I want you to understand that we can still have joy. Watch this. If you made your way there, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, look at verse 7. But we have, verse 7, we have this treasure in jars of clay. Now, our bodies are called jars of clay. T to do what? To show the surpassing power that belongs to God and not to us. See, it's not about my life. It's, to, it's about God. Verse 8. Now, watch. This is, this is some of you here today. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed but not driven to despair. Don't you be driven to despair today. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are struck down, uh -uh, but we're not destroyed. We always are carrying in the body the death of Jesus. Watch, so that the life of the Master, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested or shown in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Can you see your life that way? What are you living for? I went to Chapel Hill yesterday. It's basketball season. Oh, I love it. Leah, I talk about her a lot, but I'm a basketball. I'm, I'm vicariously living through my niece Leah, okay? She plays college basketball for the University of North Carolina. I mean, that's just like the coolest thing. I mean, I mean, forget, if you're not a Carolina fan, just think, D1. She looks like, your team's Duke. She's playing for Duke. She's playing for State or Wake or whatever, okay? 
It's a cool thing. So go down there, watching her play. She did a great job. She got 22 minutes yesterday. She's a junior. She's doing great. I'm proud of her. I'm, I, I am. But I was talking to her after the game. And you know what Leah always reminds me of? That she's doing this for Jesus. Leah, how you doing? I'm good. I'm doing, just, you know, just living for Jesus. That's, look, this is a platform. Carolina basketball is her platform. And she uses it. I mean, she shoots shots over the back of her head. Okay? And she uses it as a platform. You're not Leah Church, nor am I. But you have a platform. It's your job. It's your family. It's your Facebook page. Come on. It's Instagram, Snapchat, and Twitter. Use it for the kingdom. Your money is for his kingdom. Your gifts, your talents, your abilities. Look, mom and dad, so much of the time we set our kids up here in America for this little gauntlet. Make good grades in middle school, then in high school, get into a good college, then you can get you a good job. And if you get you a good job, you can make what? Good money. Because we know that money is going to solve all of our problems. Yeah. Right. And so you can have a bunch of stuff. You can have you a bunch of cars and houses and clothes and gadgets and gizmos so that you can then retire. And so you can get you a Winnebago and go drive out to the Grand Canyon and hobble up to it. Amen. Come on, honey. We waiting all our life to get here. Bring my glasses, I can't see it. You say, you're being silly. No, I'm not, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, what are we living for? Americans don't get it. Let me take you to Alaba Calito and put you in 180 square feet with a family of eight. Where they, they literally live in 180 square feet all their lives. On dirt. Sleep on mats. They don't, know, they don't know nothing about the Grand Canyon. They just know about trying to eat the next day. And they're happier than we are as believers. They're happier than we are. Because you know what they're living for? Ain't nothing here. They're living for heaven. Set your minds on things above. I'm telling you, American Christians are some of the most miserable people on the face of the earth because we got so much. We got so much. It's made us miserable. I swear, we're better off. Couples, think about when you first got married and you didn't have anything. You did okay, didn't you? And in a lot of ways, it's, it's like, man, I wonder if we weren't better off when we didn't have all this stuff. Because the more stuff you have, the more stuff you got to worry about. See, but here's the thing. Jump down to verse 16. I know it may be a struggle for you today, but jump down to verse 16. Still in 2 Corinthians 4, 2 Corinthians 4, 16. So we don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away. That's the guy looking at the Grand Canyon. He's dying, right? You know? 
Our inner self is being renewed how often? Day by day. Give us this day our daily bread, Jesus said. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Because we're going to the Father's house. As we look not to the things that are seen, not to the junk of this earth, but to the things that are unseen. That's heaven. For the things that are seen are transient. That means passing away. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Don't lose heart. I know this life is hard. Jesus knows all about that. Hey, how was Jesus' life for 33 years? Huh? I'd have done it a whole different way if I'd have been Jesus, right? I'd have been born into royalty. I would have had waiters, people at my beck and call, come get it. In fact, Jesus could have just made stuff happen. You know, he did. We'll talk about this Wednesday night. He just... He's out on the Galilean seashore, and they've been fishing all night, and he's out there, and he just goes, breakfast. <laughs> you know? Jesus died on a cross. Never forget that. He suffered. He knows what suffering's like. He knows what it feels like to be abandoned. He knows what it feels like to be betrayed. He knows what it feels like to work with people that are absolute airheads. He does. The disciples were morons. So am I. And he puts up with me. He's so long-suffering. Is he not? Have you committed a new sin this week? Anyone? Anyone? New sin. Something you've never done before. Anyone? Raise your hand. No. We keep doing the same, we keep doing the same old stuff over and over, and he keeps on loving us. That's crazy. We come to him and ask for forgiveness. I say, Lord, forgive us. Now, this is not a flippant forgiveness. This is sincere you confess your sins. To confess means to walk away. Metanoia means to turn away, repent. Don't lose heart. So what's our job, church? Go back to it. Colossians 1.25. Go back to it. He says we're to make him known. Watch. He says, I'm a minister according to the stewardship. That's our platform. What's your, whatever your platform is. I'm not playing ball for Carolina. This is my platform. My platform is a pastor. My platform is being a dad, being a grandfather. That's my platform, okay? He said, that's the stewardship that God has given to me. He's given your stewardship. It may be in a, in a home. It may be in a, at a workplace. It may be at the school, wherever that it is. But that's your platform. Use it to do what? To make the Word of God fully known. That's our job. See, if you're living for anything else, if you're working for the weekend, you're going to find that you're going to have very little joy in your life. And everything's going to be predicated on your circumstances. And now the mystery is going to be revealed. The little card in the clue game is going to be pulled out. And we're going to see it. Watch it. Look at verse 26. I want you to see this. This is so cool. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to who? Us, his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. By the way, the Apostle Paul revealed this same mystery to the church at Ephesus because as I, read, as I read those two verses, you probably go, I still don't get the mystery. Okay, here it comes. Watch. This is Ephesians 3, 6. Just see the screens. This mystery, Paul said the same thing to the Ephesians, but it's, it's a little more succinct. Here it is. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body. We are partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. What does that mean? It means that Gentiles get to be grafted into the family of God. We are adopted in as kids of God. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. But I've been adopted. 
into the family. That's Romans 8. And here's what's an even more profound mystery. You think Adam and Eve had it good? Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day. Why do we have it better than Adam and Eve? Because the Lord God lives inside of me. Get that! I'm typing this out on my computer, and I know this, and you do too, but when I got saved, when I invited Jesus by faith into my life, the Holy Spirit came to live inside of me. I'm carrying around God. Wow! I pushed away from my desk, and I went, literally, wow. That is crazy. And that's the mystery that the Old Testament saints knew nothing about. They didn't have the whole, every now and again, the Holy Spirit would empower, you'll see this in Scripture, the Holy Spirit would empower David, King David. The Holy Spirit even empowered Samson, gave him the the power to push down the the, the pylons, the pillars that killed the Philistines. But but not the Holy Spirit, I mean, he, he, he would come and he would go. He would come and he would go. But we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. That, that's better than Adam and Eve had it. That's astounding to help us and to give us life. Here's how William Hendrickson said it. William Hendrickson, one of the great Bible commentators, he said this, and you'll see it on the screens. He said, and I quote, it is almost beyond comprehension that Christ and all his glorious riches would actually dwell through his spirit in the hearts and lives of his people, including Gentiles. In all the preceding ages, this had never been seen. But now every child of God could bear witness to it that the Gentiles would one day constitute part of God's people. End of quote. Think of it. You carry Jesus Christ by way of His Spirit inside of you. We don't just live our lives with Jesus being at a distance. He actually indwells us. You see, the Old Testament saints, they couldn't see this. Couldn't see what? They couldn't see us. Right? They couldn't see the church. Look, they thought when Jesus came down from heaven, okay, Boom. Here he is. They were waiting for the millennial kingdom to crank up. They knew all about the 1,000-year millennial reign. It had been prophesied by Isaiah and the other prophets. Okay? So they're just waiting. That's why the disciples were fighting all the time to see who was going to be on the left and who was going to be on the right of Jesus. I got to get away from it. Get away. Get back. Get back. Because they knew when the moment came. And Jesus would institute the thousand-year millennial reign. Those that were at the left and the right of Jesus would rule and reign with him at that position. And so they were fighting, and they couldn't understand. They could, Jesus started talking about he was leaving. He said, I'm going away. And I, oh, what? what are you talking about? Wait, wait, kick off the kingdom. Go, go, go. They could not see the fact that the Messiah would suffer, and they could not see the fact that the Messiah, the Son of God, would leave the earth and then come back again one day. They could not see us. The Old Testament saints, the Old Testament prophets, it was a mystery. This was all a mystery to them. They had no idea that this would be happening. But God in His providence allowed us to be gra- Gentiles, to be grafted into the vine of God. And so we today can call on the name of Jesus by faith. And at that moment, it's a spiritual interaction. The presence of the Holy Spirit comes to indwell and live inside of us. That's the mystery. The mystery revealed, we've taken the card out of the clue game, is that the Holy Spirit will come and indwell us. That is a phenomenal thing. And Jesus said that it would happen. Turn to John 14, last place I'll have you turn. John 14. 
Turn there. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, 14. The nation of Israel was so blessed, but they could not understand the church. And the fact that Jesus would actually inhabit his people by way of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus told them right before he was executed that it was going to happen. If you made your way there, John 14, go to verse 23. Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Why? Because he's the master. So if you love him, you're going to do what he tells you to do. And my father will love him. Now watch this. And we will come to him and make our home where? With him. He's speaking of something that, that he's going to reveal it. Verse 24, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. That's a bad slave. A bad slave doesn't listen to his master. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Now here's verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Hey church, when did the Holy Spirit come? When did the Holy Spirit come? After Jesus' resurrection, right? Okay, think with me. Jesus rises from the dead. How long was he on the earth before he went back up into heaven? How many days? Anybody know how many days? I heard it, 40. 40 days. Jesus said, before he went back up into heaven, he said, go to Jerusalem and wait on the Holy Spirit. Go to, okay? And so, they were to go to Jerusalem. And Acts 1 describes the fact that they did. They went back to that house that had the upper room where they had the Last Supper. Acts 1.15 tells how many people were there. About 120 people. And he said, wait until the Holy Spirit comes. The Holy Spirit came at what we call Pentecost. Penta, meaning five. Add the zero. On day 50, the Holy Spirit came and indwelled the believers. From day 40 to day 50, can you do the math? How many days? Ten. Like on day seven, I'd be going, what's up with this? When is he coming? I'm so impatient. Anyone else in the room? I'd be like, I'm heading back to Galilee. See ya. Who knows how long we'll be here? We could be here for months. I'm broke. I'm out of money. I'm out of here. Maybe some did that. 120 didn't. They were only 120 after three and a half years of ministry. Only 120. Narrow is the way, and few there be that find it. And the Holy Spirit came like tongues of fire. And the Holy Spirit comes to indwell you and me at salvation. Do you know Jesus? Does he indwell you? Are you, are you living for him? The Holy Spirit came, the helper, and he's the one that helps us today. So go back to Colossians 1, 28 and 29. We'll begin to close. Watch this. Him, Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone. Jesus wants us to be mature. For this I toil. Paul said, I struggle with all of his energy and that, that he powerfully works within me. Are you tired today? Are you tired? Are you weary? Makes me think of, I love Lucy. Need some Vita Vita Vegemin. You know? 
so often we live our lives and we're just worn out because we're just operating in our own power. And it's just the, it's the bottom of the cup where all the dregs are. It's like coffee grounds, you know? You like drinking that mess? David said, my cup, what? Runneth over. We got to look to Jesus. And, 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 and we see here that he was so energized. You know, if you look at the Apostle Paul's life, I mean, he just wears me out just reading about him in the New Testament. The guy never let grass grow under his feet because he was energized by the Lord. If you feel weak and tired today, listen, that, that, it, it, it could be physical, but it could be spiritual that's leading to emotional and physical tiredness. Lean into the Lord. Lean into the Lord. Say, Lord, help give me strength. I'm tired of trying to do this on my own. You say, I've asked that. You've asked it, but you've really not sought the Lord's help. You've asked it because you know in your mind you're supposed to, but in your heart and in your spirit, you're still trying to do it on your own. And it's wearing you out. Let go of it. He said, I'm, I'm toiling and struggling to do what? Verse 28, we proclaim Jesus and we warn everyone. We warn him. Warn, warn her. Warn the young person. Well, what do you mean we proclaim Jesus? We let people know that Jesus is the way to heaven and we warn people who don't know that. But that might get us in trouble. That might bring persecution. It might put us before the Sanhedrin. Because the things that we know that the Word of God teaches, that Jesus teaches through His Word, are not very popular today. But we still must tell the truth. Aren't you glad that the Department of Transportation puts these things out when they know a bridge is out? Aren't you glad when they do that? I am. Of course, that's not that far, 0.07 miles. I would have probably pushed it back a little bit, but that's just me, not criticizing the DOT. I'm just grateful for the sign. Warning. Bridge is out. That's what the Apostle Paul said we're to do. We're to share the gospel and warn people that the bridge is out. And that if you keep going in the direction you're going, you're going to die. Hey, what's the worst thing that can happen to a human being? It might be going off a bridge that's out. Because if they don't know Jesus and they die, they then go to hell. That could be the worst thing that happens. Because the worst thing that could possibly happen, truly, to any person is to die without knowing Jesus. Because Jesus came, He is the way to God, He's prepared a place, a nice house, better than the Biltmore house, for you and for me, and it's free for the taking! Just receive Him by faith! Say, Jesus, I trust you. I want to live for you. And, and when you're living for Jesus, then when you burn the toast or the doctor gives the bad report, this life don't last. And you become like somebody living in Africa who's got 180 square feet. And you go, it's okay. It's okay. This isn't forever. Notice what Paul said. We warned them. And I want you to see the sign again because you need to see the bottom of the sign. Because we don't just tell people to stop at the sign. Stop! Stop! I mean, we have a traffic backed up for how many miles? Stop! Stop! Thank y'all for stopping! Thank y'all for stopping! Is that it? 
What's at the bottom of the sign? Black and orange sign. Oh, we actually show them another way. That's teaching them. That's verse 28. We say, come this way. Follow me. Let me show you the way. Who is the way? Jesus. We've got a job to do. What's your platform? Might not be college basketball. It could be a boardroom. could be a classroom. could be a forklift. Okay? could be in a kitchen. Hmm? Could be on, it could be on a, a football field. A, 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 a dance classroom. It, 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 could, it could be in a multitude of places. Our job is to stop people and then point them in the right direction. Church, we are servants. We are slaves. Yeah, children of God, but slaves to the Master. And we have the reality of that which the Old Testament saints could never know. We have Jesus living within us. How about that? Experiencing the joy of changed lives, empowered by the Spirit of God, energized to do His work. And so, to put it in the language of the old Clue board game, it's time to pull out the envelope for this game called life. Who wins? Oh, I know. Jesus did it with a cross on Calvary. We win. Bow with me in prayer. Father, there's no mystery here today. There's no mystery of the fact that you want people to know your son. So Lord, I pray for those here today that do not know Jesus. For some, they continue to hold back and they're looking for the stuff of this world to make them happy, but it's like a carrot being dangled in front of a donkey. The donkey can't ever get the carrot. The donkey keeps trying to bite the carrot, can't get to the carrot. Satan dangles this stuff. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, if there be one here today that doesn't know you, truly know you, they know about you maybe, they know facts about you, but they've never by faith trusted you and are following you. They're, they're, they, they've never taken the detour. I pray that they might make that decision. With every head bowed, I want to ask this. Is there anyone in the room today? I want you to make a decision. Is there anyone in the room today? And you say, you know what, Pastor Kevin, I'm not certain I'm saved. I, I'm, not, I, I'm not certain that I understand what it means to be a Christian. And I want you to pray for me. I'm not going to come back to you. I'm not, I'm not going to bother you. I'm not going to come to you after the service. I'm not going to text you or email you. I'm just going to pray for you. Anybody in the room that says, Pastor Kevin, I'm not certain that I'm a believer. I want you to pray for me. Anybody in the room, would you raise your hand? Anyone. I just want to pray for you. Anyone in the room. If you're watching on Mount Pleasant anywhere, we've got a young man who's manning that computer keyboard. Just type that message. It's private. Type that message. It's private. Maybe you're here today and as a Christian, maybe you're here today as a Christian, you know that you've gotten a little off track. You're not following the detour. It's not that you're a bad person. It's not that you're an evil person. It's just that you know in your heart the Holy Spirit has revealed to you that you're seeking the stuff of this world. You've really had your heart and mindset on the things of this world to make you happy, and Jesus has not been leading and being the master. And I'm going to do something. I'm going to keep talking, but I'm turning and I'm facing the drums now. I'm not even looking out there. And I want to ask you, because you need to make a decision. I want, I, want, I want even Satan to see this. If you're here today and you're a Christian, and you need to let God know by the lifted hand, raise your hand right now and say, Lord, 
help me. I've been trying to live this in my own strength. I'm drinking coffee grounds at the bottom of the cup, and it's killing me. And you'll just lift, his hand, lift your hand right now and do that to him. It's like a, 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 somebody in the classroom trying to get the teacher's attention. In this case, you don't have to beg to get God's attention. He just wants to see if you're serious. Would you raise your hand? I'm not looking. I'm looking at the drums. Father, speak to each heart. Speak to that student, to that young person that thinks that the stuff of this world is going to bring them happiness. Speak to them. Anyone else would want to raise their hand? Do it right now. Right now. Just lift your hand and say, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Father in heaven, I thank you for what you're doing here. I thank you for what you're doing in my life, just reminding me again that I'm not, I'm not here for this stuff. I'm here for your kingdom and your glory. You're my master, and I'm looking forward to the house. I'm coming to the house one day. Better than George Vanderbilt could build. Jesus is building it. Father, I pray for anyone today that might need to make that little short walk just to the back of the room, right where we have that decision room. We have wonderful people, men and women, who are ready, prepared, trained to talk and to encourage. For anyone that needs to be saved, for anyone that's here that just needs to be prayed with, we're here for them. Lord, have your way in our lives and help us now to go and reveal this. It's, it's, not, it's not the game of clue. It's not CSI. It's not bones. It's the, it's the truth of the gospel. Help us to go now and reveal to people in our lives, on our platform that's around us, the truth of who Jesus is. For we pray it in his sweet name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's message. Find us at www.mpbc.church and on Facebook at facebook.com slash mpbcnc. Have a great day, and we hope you'll join us again next week.